They don't want to put people in prison because they cannot, because we're not doing anything. They want to intimidate you in a way that you will stop hurting. This is what has happened in all the humanitarian actors here in Greece for the last two years. Because of this intimidation, they make people stop doing what they are supposed to do and helping the most vulnerable people that are coming. This summer, Mary Lawler, the UN reporter on human rights defenders, went on a 10-day-long mission to Greece. At the end of her mission, in a preliminary observations and recommendation document, Lawler wrote, being concerned about the increasing criminalization of humanitarian assistance in Greece. Lawler also came to understand that the nature of cooperation between the government and civil society and the overall perception about the role of civil society and human rights defenders in Greece has undergone a significant shift since 2019. In that year, the current governing centre-right wing party, New Democracy, won the elections and party leader Kyriakos Mitsotakis became prime minister. Lawler says that since 2019, human rights defenders have found it increasingly difficult to carry out their work. This is particularly tangible in relation to those human rights defenders who defend the rights of asylum seekers, migrants and refugees. Today, on Europe Talks Back, how Greek institutions are criminalizing the work of human rights defenders at the borders of Europe. We'll be right back. My name is Dimitris Hulis and I am a lawyer in Samos Island where I was born and I've worked here since 2008 before the crisis. And for the last two three years, I'm working around the human rights violations in Greece, in Samos. You are a lawyer or an activist, Dimitris? No, I'm a lawyer, clearly a lawyer. But uh, right now, being a lawyer in the external borders of the EU and trying to do your work properly, you become an activist even if you don't want. In November 2021, Dimitris Houlis, a Greek lawyer specialized in human rights, started to be investigated by Greek authorities. Why? Dimitris Houlis was found quote-unquote guilty of having alerted a member of the European Parliament, Cornelia Ernst, of a landing of migrants on the Greek island of Samos and, therefore, of a risk of a pushback by Greek authorities. What follows is Dimitris' account of what happened. There was a visit here in Samos of the Libe Committee and they wanted to see the general situation here in Samos. They didn't come for the pushbacks. There was a big round table with all the actors here in Samos. And uh, when my turn was to speak, I spoke about pushback, and I saw that uh, the members of the committee were very interested to learn what is happening. The Libe Committee is the European Parliament Committee on Civil Liberties, Justice and Home Affairs. It is composed of 69 members, and it is responsible for the majority of legislation and oversight of policies that enabled the EU to offer its citizens an area of freedom, security and justice. To achieve its objectives, the Libe Committee works with other EU institutions, national governments and parliaments. It conducts regular exchanges with representatives from the judiciary, law enforcement authorities, academics and civil society. And that's why, from the 2nd to the 4th of November 2021, the Libe Committee went to Athens and Samos. The Libby Committee met national authorities, international organizations and NGOs to assess in person the situation of migrants and asylum seekers. The committee reached the island of Samos on the morning of the 3rd of November 2021. So that day, there was an arrival actually, and there was a pushback operation happening at the same moment. 
So we propose to the members of the committee to join us, take them to the place to actually witness what's happening. One of the members of the committee, uh, Cornelia Ernst, a member of the European Parliament, with her assistant, agreed to come with us to see, not as part of the committee, but as a person. So we went to the mountain. She saw, first of all, she saw a lot of secret police around the place, and we saw it too. And they told her that she cannot pass after a point. She asked why, they told her an excuse, and she didn't accept their excuse. And she said, no, I will go because there are people in need. So we passed through the blockade of the police, and we started looking around. We were screaming for people to hear us. And after 20 minutes, uh, five people appeared in front of us from the bushes. And she spoke with them. And they told her that they are afraid of the police and that there were 24 in total, but they don't know what the other 19 are. Also, they told us that there are children uh, amongst them and also women pregnant. So we continue looking for the rest of the group. She uh, saw masked men coming from the sea, from the child that the sea is, and we weren't able to find anyone else. Finally, this 19 person that we couldn't find were found in uh, Turkey from the Turkish uh, Coast Guard. And of course, they were pushed back. So the next day, there was a meeting of the Labour Committee with the Minister of Migration. And one of the reporters there asked them whether the committee saw a pushback. So Aguilar, the president of the committee, say with few words, I can say no, because this is the truth committee didn't see anything. It was a member of them, and still as a person, as a member of the European Parliament, not as a member of the committee. And second of all, she didn't witness a pushback. What she witnessed and what she testified, and she wrote it also on Twitter and publicly and everywhere that she could, was an operation that didn't seem like a search and rescue. There weren't doctors there to help the people that had arrived. There weren't ambulances if they needed. There were only secret police cars, and of course, there were also people that disappeared, 19 people that were disappeared. Also, she testifies that the people told her that they are afraid of the police and that the 19 missing. So when this happened, as you can understand, the members of the committee heard her story and they said it with uh, the Minister of Migration and also they said with him how this information came to the committee that I had the information, and I told the committee, if you want, let's go now. So in the press conference uh, and then in the Twitter, say that what has to be investigated is how this local lawyer know where refugees are. So for him, the important thing wasn't that 90 people were disappeared, but how a lawyer has an information about an arrival. After that, as you can understand, the attack was direct. Uh, because he called for the public prosecutor to investigate me. As Dimitris was telling his story, one word stood out and caught my attention. Secret police. So I asked him what he meant by that. So secret police is, first of all, uh, the undercover police that every police department has. And this is what we usually meet when we go to an intervention. We don't see uniforms. We see people with uh, no uniform and they... Uh, 
not official cars. So this is the secret police, but also there is a part of the port police that are going to these landings and they wearing their port police suit, but without any of the stickers on where you can see that they are port police or that the name or whatever. Uh, so they go with nothing on the uniform that can be recognizable and they are wearing a mask. These the masks, so that you cannot see their face. This is something that we have heard from the refugees that have been pushed back. The incident that occurred at the beginning of November 2021 and the following investigation against him changed Dimitri's professional life. But significantly, it had also an impact on the life of other migrants who tried to reach Europe's shores in the following weeks. After that incident, for uh, almost three months, we couldn't actually do anything. We were kind of afraid and kind of disorganized uh, also. To tell you an example, 10 days later, when we found uh, 23 people in the woods hiding, it was already dark. We give them some waters, and instead of staying there with them until the police come, so we will make sure that they will be taken uh, to for registration so that the law will uh, be respected uh, in this uh, occasion. Instead of staying with them there in the dark, we were very afraid with my other colleague, Johanna, and uh, we had to leave. We left, uh, we ran actually, we ran. We left them there because we thought that they will be safe. We had documented their arrival, we had some uh, photos taken, we had also a local reporter to take a photo of them. Instead of uh, the rights being respected, we received a message from them two days later. They have been pushed back in Turkey and they actually told us that we are working with the police and uh, we betrayed them. Uh, and at that point, it was uh, 20-something of uh, November, 20 days later from the incident. I want to ask you, Why, in your opinion, this is happening? So, since the new government took office here in Greece, one of their goals were to control the migration flow, to stop the refugee crisis that uh, was a very big problem for Greece in the past. 15,000 migrants and refugees on the Greek island of Lesbos. It has become a ritual on the island of Kos. Hundreds of migrants crowd outside this police station each morning. This has been a resounding win for the new democracy party. In Athens, it's a victory for the face of the old guard. Kyriakos Mitsotakis is a former prime minister's son, and he heads the center-right new democracy party, a decades-long political mainstay. But for these two years, Greece successfully kept a lot of refugees out of Europe, and Europe is happy for that because, uh, let's face it, no one wants them here. So they give us the permission, and I think also they give us technology to do it. So you are referring to the EU Commission here, or European institutions in general? I refer to EU Commission and, of course, to all the European countries. Everyone knows what's happening. Greece was the watchdog for Europe, and everyone was very happy with the situation. But now I think the pressure is uh, very big. So how can things change if they can change? The only way is to understand that there is no impunity anymore. And I think this is already started. And of course, with the blackmail that they will cut funds from Greece if we continue doing it. The problem is, as I told you, that publicly they speak against pushback, but secretly they are happy for the pushback. So there is this, how you can impose sanctions to a country, a member state, when you're actually benefiting from the situation and you want the situation. And also in order to stop this, you need a new migration pact in which 
each country will take its responsibility for the crisis and the percentage of the refugees in the European Union. Dimitris, thanks a lot for this. That's my pleasure. We'll be right back. To better understand how Dimitri's story is representative of a wider phenomenon which has been labeled criminalization of solidarity, we brought in the elect Di Angeli, who is a full-time staff reporter in the national daily newspaper FSIN. For the latest 10 years, the elect has been reporting on human rights, as well as covering the refugee crisis, police brutality, and gender-based violence and crime. So this is me speaking to the elect Angeli. Hi, the It's nice to have you with us. Thank you very much for the invitation. Dialecti, the reason why we're here today in this interview with you as a guest is that recently the UN Special Reporter on Human Rights Defenders said that she is concerned about the increasing criminalization of humanitarian assistance in Greece. Can you help us explain what is happening? Well, since 2019, the nature of cooperation between the Greek government and the civil society has undergone a significant shift. The same goes to the overall perception of the role of civil society and human rights defenders in Greece. Human rights defenders, and especially those who defend the rights of asylum seekers, migrants and refugees, including those providing humanitarian assistance or legal aid or even participating in search and rescue operations, have found it very difficult to carry out their work ever since. While previously they carried out their activities in a favorable environment, the current policy framework that emphasizes security over humanitarian assistance has led to several constraints. So you mentioned the word constraints. Could you elaborate on that? Well, as uh, Mary Lawler, the UN Special Reporter on Human Rights Defenders, said, one of the biggest constraints is the restrictive legislative environment which, among other requirements, obliges NGOs working in the field of migration to register on an NGO registry maintained by the Ministry of Migration and Asylum itself. These strenuous registration requirements, coupled with the wide discretion afforded to the authorities to refuse to register applicant NGOs, have the effect of further restricting civil society space and augmenting significantly the control of the state over the work of NGOs in the field of migration. Plus, NGOs that are not registered are not able to access asylum seekers and migrants in the facilities where they are held, and the administrative burden to registry also puts a financial strain, particularly on small organizations. And how did we get to this point? Well, Greece finds itself in a very complex situation because of the geopolitical realities such as around migration and the uneven EU support. The arrival of a large number of migrants, refugees and asylum seekers in uh, 2015 tested the capacity of both the government and the society. Since then, Greece has made efforts to improve, let's say, the conditions in which migrants and asylum seekers are held. But uh, at the same time, these developments uh, took place against the backdrop of a policy that, as I said before, prioritizes security and prevention over solidarity. Moreover, the improvements in the reception facilities are accompanied by a move towards more securitized structures, which, together with remote locations, 
impact the movement of both asylum seekers and those trying to assist them. So you can imagine that this is a really difficult field to work on. So which are the allegations moved by Greek authorities to NGOs in this context, Dialecti? Also, we are wondering what is the perception among citizens around this topic and does the narrative from the government or media influence the environment in which human rights groups operate today? Yes, absolutely. Well, human rights defenders are operating in a really hostile environment where the public is influenced by negative rhetoric from even high-ranking officials and their unfavorable portrayal by the mainstream right-wing media, often conflating their activities with those of people traffickers and criminal networks. Reports of human rights defenders, and in particular those supporting migrants, refugees and asylum seekers, being targeted by hostile comments, including by key stakeholders in the government, as I said. They are described as traitors, enemies of the state, Turkish agents, criminals, smugglers and traffickers, and such things. Well, as you can understand, such statements, especially when coming from high-level officials, contribute to overall negative attitudes towards their role and their work, both by the larger population and by the police and other relevant agencies. Okay, so let's go a bit more specific. What could human rights defenders risk today in Greece for their activities? And did someone already face criminal charges? Well, they risk persecution and their freedom. There is uh, the example of the 35 members of four organizations, among which are the Watch the Med and Mare Liberum, accused by the Greek police for facilitating the entry of refugees and migrants and for even espionage. They are accused because they communicated with refugees who failed to reach Greece and who gave them videos and photos from the Coast Guard operations of which they had fallen victims. The organization What's the Med accuses the government of attempting to criminalize solidarity as well as of trying to get out of the way the disturbing testimonies that revealed the crimes committed by the Greek authorities in the Aegean Sea as certified by the relevant international organizations. And let's not forget the case of the NGO ERCI, the Emergency Response Center uh, International. 24 activists are facing serious criminal charges such as people smuggling, a membership of a criminal organization and espionage, of course. And if they found guilty, they face 25 years in prison. The police said in a statement that at least uh, six Greeks and 24 foreigners were involved in, and I quote, an organized criminal network that systematically facilitated the illegal entry of foreigners under the guise of humanitarian aid. Dialecti, can you tell us more about the policy framework upon which the ongoing criminal cases are based upon? Yes, the charges against human rights defenders are based on the migration code which implements the EU facilitators package. This law criminalizes both the facilitation of irregular entry and transit of third country nationals, as well as the facilitation of residence as per the facilitation directive. However, Greek law does not define which acts or omissions constitute facilitation in this regard. Article 29 of the Migration Code, for instance, merely provides that I quote, 
persons who facilitate the entry into or exit from the territory of Greece of third country nationals without performing the controls provided by law are punishable. Due to this overly broad provision, as you can understand, a broad range of otherwise legitimate conduct by human rights defenders can become the target of enforcement authorities. Coordinating humanitarian assistance, for example, by organizing to be present in an area where refugee vessels arrive to provide first aid is a key activity for human rights defenders. So, putting human rights defenders on trial for such conduct undermines their work, as you can understand. I guess one of the big questions is, how does all of this play into the approval rates or the support of the current government led by Kyriakos Mitsotakis? As for the approval rates of Mitsotakis' government, I reckon that they are not affected by this decision, since most of uh, New Democracy's voters maintain a wary to hostile attitude towards immigrants and asylum seekers, and predominantly those from Muslim countries. Fair enough. Instead, going back to the bigger picture, Dialecti, the criminalization of migrants and those who help them is something we saw across the whole of Europe somehow during the past years. We could mention Italy, for instance, but how did the situation escalate, in your opinion, and did it actually escalate? Is that correct as a term? I recall a recent report of Research Social Platform on Migration that showed that after the major arrivals of uh, migrants and refugees in 2015-2016, the EU failed to create a fair mechanism to share responsibility over the management of asylum seekers. And this left many member states in the external borders regions, especially, overwhelmed with migration procedures and increasingly unwilling to meet their human rights obligations towards migrants. While at this point, civil society stepped in, Yet, populist leaders branded their action as a pull factor for new arrivals, which resulted in individuals and civil society organizations being intimidated, harassed and charged with facilitating irregular migration across the EU. Meanwhile, the EU has quietly adopted um, a much harsher line on migration and asylum, erecting new barriers to keep out would-be newcomers, including a substantial environment of Frontex, for example. Brussels has also made a dubious partnership in states that migrants pass through. For example, Libyan militias have been funded and trained to act as Europe's first line of defense. But uh, in my opinion, the most striking aspect of this shifting attitude toward migration is the reaction against NGOs. National and local governments take aim at the helpers and NGOs and volunteers across Europe have faced suspicion and harassment or even prosecution for simple acts of charity like distributing food or water. So eventually, how do you see the future, Dialecti? What do you think can we expect in the next months or even years? I'm afraid that the future reserves further restrictions regarding the migration policies more obstacles regarding the work of NGOs in the field of human rights, and um, an information blackout since the mainstream media stop reporting on these matters or choose an anti-immigration rhetoric leading to the recessing public interest. Thank you, Dialecti. Thanks for these insights. I hope we can have you soon again on Your Talks Back. Yes, thank you very much. It was really interesting. We'll be right back. 
If you want to follow Dimitris Houli's activities as a lawyer on the island of Samos, he has just found an NGO called Human Rights Legal Project. There's no website yet, but you can follow Dimitris on Twitter at Dimitris Houli's. That's D-I-M-I-T-R-I-S-C-H-O-U-L-I-S. You can also follow Reporter Dialecti Angeli on Twitter at Dialecti. That's D-I-A-L-E-K-T-I. And this is it for this week's episode. The producer of Your Talks Back is Antoine Lheureux. Sound design is by Jeremy Boquet. The entire background research and arrangement of interviews for this episode is by Claudia Torrisi. Editing and mixing is by Jeremy Boquet. Promotion and marketing by Katrin Scapedas. My name is Alexander Damian Ricci. We'll be back next Thursday. <laughs>